Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Believe in Florida Gators podcast. I'm your host, Zach Goodall, and today I am joined by one of my co-hosts, Brandon Carroll. Uh, Dominique Easley, who joined us a little bit ago, uh, is still traveling at the moment. Uh, We hope to get him back for the final week of the season when Florida takes on FSU. Obviously, a game that means quite a bit to him specifically, so I'm sure it's one that we will all be together for, but... In the meantime, you're stuck with us, too, um, as we look back on Florida's dominant victory, their really first meaningful dominant victory of the Billy Napier tenure here uh, against South Carolina this past weekend. Uh, Last time we talked to you, we covered just about, if not every angle of the Jaden Rashada commitment, and now we're going to look into the domino effect that it's brought upon Florida recruiting. Uh, We'll touch on those two things as well as Florida's upcoming game with the Vanderbilt Commodores this weekend uh, to wrap up the show. Um, It's going to be quite a bit of content today, so stick around. Brandon, um, it's been about a week since you last got to catch up with everyone, so let us know how it's been. Um, How you doing, man? Say what's up to the people. I'm doing well. Uh, nothing too crazy. Thanksgiving break's about to hit for the school. Ever, you know, everyone in school. I only have classes on Mondays, so I'm done until after the break, which is nice. So next class is like in December or like late, late November. Um, but yeah, everything's going well. I'm excited to be back and talking about some Florida football today. Yeah, we've got, as I was alluding to, quite a bit to look upon. Um, you know. Honestly, it's not even really worth breaking down just the South Carolina game. I think it's worth looking back at these past two games, the road trip with Texas A&M and the home game, Senior Day in the Swamp, the final home game of the year against South Carolina to really see what's changed with this Florida team. Because obviously, quite a bit has. We've seen you know a a switch kind of flick in the right direction. Um, So we'll kind of go into... All of that, and again, the other things that I mentioned at the beginning of the show. But first, a word from our sponsors over at Bet Online. Basketball is back, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all of your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, game trends, and all the good stuff over at Bet Online. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports and events, whether that's the NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, college football, tennis, boxing, and even golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Just make sure to use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. BetOnline, where the game starts, please gamble responsibly. Brandon, let's look back at these past six quarters of Gators football, really since coming out of halftime at Kyle Field at Texas A&M. And, you know, we could look back to that entire game if you want to look at the offense's success, which really has been trending in the right direction since 
the LSU game. Uh, I think we've seen continual growth out of the offense as well as really finding the identity behind the run game. Uh, but where everything started to click was was Florida coming together for a complete game. We just didn't see that all year, mainly in part due to the defense's struggles, uh, well noted on third downs at the beginning of the year, but also against the run in a lot of different ways. Uh, coverage aspects, you know, a lack of schematic changes, uh, young players taking the field. You know, really, they had every excuse kind of working for them in this first year for the defense under Patrick Tony, that is, and and now things have started to click. Uh, so when you look back on these six quarters, uh, with the def- defense has pitched a shutout the entire way, uh, recorded a lot of takeaways and and making plays in the backfield, unlike we had seen earlier in the year. What stands out to you the most, uh, and where do you think the unit has started to really gel? Yeah, I think you have to start up front in the trenches where – the defensive line sets. I think the biggest thing for Florida this far is their ability for their edges to create pressure. And that's something that we saw earlier in the season that wasn't really clicking at a high level. But now with even despite the guy that everyone thought to be Florida's number one premier pass rusher and Brent Cox Jr. not being with the team anymore, this team is clicking on all cylinders when it comes to creating pressure on the quarterback or even, uh, you know, closing rushing lanes on the outside and making sure they're holding their holding the edge against the run. I think that's not just allowing the, you know, Antoine Powell Jr. and Prince Leo Manmiel and, and everyone to really create this uh, ability to really put a strain on the opposing offense, but it's also helping the interior defensive line find their groove. I know, uh, you know, Jervon Dexter has been able to kind of um, see more on the stat sheet. Desmond Watson had uh, a, his best performance of the season and, you know, one of the most, a great play in terms of stripping the ball from Jaheim Bell and almost making a run for six, but it's uh, just everything coming together on the, or on the defense line and that cohesion within the unit and the edges kind of having that ripple effect into the interior defense line is really pushing Florida forward uh, as a defense to this point. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I wrote today about the, Gators top three potential draft prospects and I got a lot of I don't want to say blowback but you know people were questioning me including Javon Dexter and I get it he doesn't have two he only has two sacks three tackles for loss people were expecting a lot more out of a former five-star but everyone understands the physical and athletic profile to it that's why there's excitement here in the first place Uh, but he's making an impact beyond the stat sheet that is pretty immeasurable in terms of how much it's creating for this defense. And with a lot of the issues earlier in the year, finding the correct personnel, the the lack of strength on the edges, coverage lapses, and, and really a first-year defense coming all together, you, you didn't see the benefits of what Jervon was doing. But he's one of the most played defensive linemen in the country, which is not a good thing. You, you want your defensive linemen to be fresh. I think that's pretty well known at every level it's a taxing position for very big players. You don't want them averaging 65 to 70 snaps per game like Dexter was to start this year. Um, And yet, despite that, he ranks in the top. uh, I don't have the numbers up in front of me. He has the, he's in the top 3% of run defenders in terms of creating pure run stops this year on the defensive line in the country. There's like 650 or so qualifying linemen who have, posted at least one, and he ranks in the top 3% of the country. Uh, Quarterback pressure, even if he's not necessarily creating the sack, 
it's the top, I think, 6.6%. So he's producing. It's just not showing up on your standard box score. And obviously, it's creating a lot. We've seen the benefits of what Dexter, you know, what he does. It bleeds over to the edge rushers in Princely, in Antoine, and they've been on a tear these past couple of weeks. And maybe that leads to the question of should they have been playing more previously. But at this point, again, you have to understand that was the talent that they inherited in Brenton Cox. He was supposed to be, as Brandon said, the guy there on the edge. You understand why he got chances, but things are starting to come together. And I guess just specifically to Jervon's point, yeah, again, maybe he doesn't have the stats that a typical first round defensive lineman has, but we're starting to see just how critical he is and a player of his caliber on the defensive line is to this scheme's success. Yeah, and I think one thing that people kind of uh, might not understand about defense alignment especially on the interior is they're not most of the you know great defense alignment don't really stuff the stat sheet it's not something you know their production goes so far beyond what shows up in the tackle box or the sack box because if you're able to kind of hold those gaps on the inside and free up teammates to be able to make plays you're going to have a long career and i think jervon's done that too uh really you know despite his his usage and his high snap count he's shown that he can really create for his teammates. He can build, you know, he can take on a double team and allow someone else to push through and, uh, you know, kind of make a play in the backfield for a loss, or he can take on a double team and let Ventro Miller from the second level kind of come through that gap and blow up a play in the backfield. So it's just little things like that, that kind of go unnoticed when you look at the box score, but then you turn on the tape and you're like, wow, this guy is commanding so much on the inside that it's freeing up the edge rushers to be able to just pin their ears back and get inside with, you know, a one on one with the tackle. So I think that's just, a, you know, something to keep in mind when kind of critiquing an d- interior defense alignment is you have to really watch them. This is not a position where you can look at the stat sheet and say, oh, he only has 14 tackles this year. He's not, you know, one of the top defense linemen in the in the nation because he's not producing at a high level compared to some of these other guys that are doing it week in and week out. And obviously not, you want to see that, but not it's to not to mention, not to mention he has 42 tackles. Yeah. This year. No, I was, I just threw out a number. Like I was sure. I just, I just mean to like speak to that still being impressive to your point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But it's just kind of, you know, you're the numbers that you're watching for and comparing to some of the other guys like, Oh, why doesn't he have as much as, uh, this other interior defense lineman at another SEC school, anything like that. It's um, not always there. There's no perfect picture for an de- interior defense lineman and how their production works like there is for other positions. Right. And, and people were surprised too throughout the year and probably remain to be that Amari Bernie, a, a player who has struggled throughout his year at numerous positions and hadn't really found a true fit in the Gators defense has come alive. I mean, he's been, one of, if not the team's most consistent pass rusher this year, leading the team in sacks along the way. He's done a lot of that off of like an outside linebacker edge that isn't, it's not the jack edge rusher. It's got more responsibilities in terms of dropping back in coverage and doing stuff like that. But he's worked a lot off of Dexter's side and, and, and that's created a lot for Bernie. And in result, People have been astounded. They, they, he's putting up a career year in a lot of different ways, and, and he can thank Dexter for a lot of that, at least as it pertains to rushing the passer. Um, so just interesting things to keep in mind because that is how ultimately NFL teams are going to weigh this with Jervon. 
with Anthony, with other players that could potentially declare for the draft. However, to not get too sidetracked, <clears throat> I think we can probably move towards that in a different episode because I know we still want to look over what's clicked for these past two weeks. Uh, but what else stands out to you in terms of, you know, whether it's the defense coming together in the secondary or the second level making plays, um, you know, I think we see a lot of the offense and defense feeding off of each other, which helps a lot. And it goes to Napier's point of the cohesion of the team. And you wrote about that at length the other day, Brandon, um, coming together and the leadership quality starting to emerge. And and there is that sense of togetherness that he's really demanded throughout the season, it, at least in my opinion, starting to show through the play. Definitely. And if you listen to Billy Napier talk at any point, uh, in, for an extended period of time, you're going to hear the term complimentary football pop up at least once or twice. Here, that's what Florida's been doing over the past six quarters. They've been playing complimentary football. The offense has been ticking. They've really found their identity as a rushing unit. I think, you know, with the with Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne really finding their stride behind an offensive line that's been a huge bright spot for Florida this season, as well as Anthony Richardson starting to really embrace that rushing role that many thought he should have uh, kind of embraced earlier in the season. And that only comes with added, you know, uh, depth behind him and getting Jack Miller healthy, as well as Jalen Kitna's emergence as the true number two quarterback in the room, according to Billy Napier. But I think having the offense taking at such a high level and being able to move the ball methodically, as well as having those explosive plays in the run is really helping this unit kind of build that momentum. And then the defense, like you said, the secondary starting to step up. Uh, we're seeing a lot. I think we're seeing more press man coverage across the board. We're seeing guys play tighter to, um, you know, their wide receiver matchups and things like that, which is really helping them kind of be able to redirect receivers, throw off timing of quarterbacks and allow that pass rush to really hit home. And the cohesion is something that it's a it's a give and take. You have, you know, times where the pass rush is really making it easy on the cornerbacks and coverage or you have times where the secondary is being, you know, a unit that is starting to really understand the um, kind of scheme that they're playing in. And, and the one that Patrick Tony has been known to be a defensive orient or defensive back oriented coach. And it's starting to really click for that unit, that defensive back unit. So you're having the defense line being able to hit home because of, you know, and, and make coverage sacks as well. So it's everything starting to kind of go in the right way for Florida. And it's happening because of the, like Zach said, cohesion, complimentary football, and just an all around uh, joint effort by this entire team. We're starting to see exactly what Billy Napier has planned for this team. Exactly what he said when he got here, what was what he wanted to see on the field. It's starting to click here, uh, you know, in the closing stages of the 2022 season. Yeah, no doubt. And I think that should, I think we should flip it instead of going into recruiting. We, we move that into a discussion about Vanderbilt, about this upcoming game. Uh, where again, we, we've seen the offense really start to work for several weeks now. So we wanted to prioritize the defense. And I think you don't have to look any further than a, a stat that was pulled off the board because college football is stupid and decides to remove sack yardage from rushing yardage. Florida had three 100 yard rushers against South Carolina this past weekend in Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne and Anthony Richardson, the, the three clear cut guys very early on. Um, for anyone that was, you know, questioning the lack of adjustments, maybe that the staff would make, I would point you to several that were made in, in small fashions along the way. But we saw the running game adjust to its three strongest rushers, uh, which became evident very early in the year. 
And the proof is in the pudding when you've got three 100-yard rushers in a game. That's just not something you see very often. And with that being said, when it comes to Vanderbilt, I would expect, especially in what's going to be a frigid game, they don't like to talk about the weather, but it's going to be cold. Uh, Florida's going to want to impose its will, and I think you ride the momentum of that rushing game. Just go in and do the exact same thing you've been doing over and over again. Uh, And it leads us to the focal point of this game being, can Florida's defense repeat a complete game? We've seen it six quarters in a row, but can they stack two complete games in a row, especially in an environment that they're not necessarily used to against a team that Vanderbilt is Vanderbilt. I understand that, but they just pulled off a top 25 win last week against Kentucky. The first SEC win in what, 26? Yeah, they stopped a 26-game losing streak in the SEC, which is crazy that it happened in the first place, but good for Vanderbilt. Good for the Commodores, man. And and they've got a second-year head coach who is enduring what everyone understood to be a massive rebuild. I don't even want to say rebuild because like it's just more of a straight-up build to get Vanderbilt to where, you know, at least the bare minimum of what SEC football is supposed to look like. And you're seeing some positive returns early on as he's laying that foundation and you see it in their offense. Unlike we've seen in the past, you know, they've got some playmakers. They've got two quarterbacks. They could roll out that do different things. Well, so Brandon, it, 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 you know, it's going to be another tough test. All things considered for Florida's defense, Maybe not the tough test that fans are used to or expect for a Florida team, but nonetheless, there are some circumstances here worth considering. Yeah, like you mentioned, I think the biggest thing with Vanderbilt and and kind of playing this Florida team is the ability for two quarterbacks to hit the field. Uh, Last week, Mike Wright was the catalyst for Vanderbilt being able to take down Kentucky Um, and you know, but he hasn't been their starter all season long. Um, he was benched earlier in the season in favor of freshman AJ Swan. Uh, Swan's been an efficient passer this season has attended to touchdown to interception ratio has shown that he can, you know, complete passes at a high clip and deliver the ball into, you know, good spots and make smart decisions, which I think is exactly what Clark Leia wants this team to be this Uh, offense to have is a guy that understands to you know not turn the ball over and play that efficient football and we've seen that from swan however he has dealt with injuries over the past few weeks he um, actually returned against south carolina two weeks ago just to get re-injured and be out for the kentucky game mike wright came in and showed that he could get it done not just through the air but on the ground and i think that both of these guys present issues for florida but if i you know if i'm florida i would want to see swan over uh, Mike Wright just because of what Mike Wright presents as a rusher. He, I know last week he was, you know, a, like I said, one of the catalysts for this uh, Vanderbilt squad and taking down Kentucky. And that came in, in the form of his rushing game. Uh, he had 11 attempts for 126 yards and a touchdown with a long of a 59 yard rush, which was his score. So he's had that success on the ground, which Florida struggled with this season. Obviously, we saw it with Jerry Bohannon and USF. We saw it a bit with Cam Rising when they played Utah. And then we saw it with Jaden Daniels against LSU. So um, just a lot for Florida to prepare for this week defensively, which you know could provide some, uh, some of those early season lapses that we saw. Uh, maybe not in the same regard, but you know some, some 
they not, might not shut out the, this Vanderbilt team like they have the past six quarters with Texas A&M and South Carolina. So we'll see how things unfold there. Last time Florida went into the t- state of Tennessee, Hendon Hooker, not known as a dual threat, he eclipsed 100 yards, right? I think it was around 14 for 103 or something of the sort. So it's a it's a measuring stick. Uh, every game has been a measuring stick for what this team is going to look like under Billy Napier. Uh, and in the last two weeks, did not feature quarterbacks with the skill set uh, of a right, you know, of uh, of a Bohannon, of Daniels, of, of even Hooker, obviously, from a passing perspective. Hooker had 13 <laughs> carries, 112 yards, and a touchdown against Florida. I was close. You were, was, you were, yeah, you were almost, yeah. you were almost there. Almost there. 10 yards but, off, but I think you got the carries right. So look at you go. And, and we've seen the growth of the defense these the past two weeks in areas where they struggled. So it is, a, it is a fantastic opportunity for Florida to show growth in a different department here before the season closes, before you go against a legitimate dual threat. One of the better quarterbacks in the country this year in FSU's Jordan Travis, but that's for next week. Uh, right now, we are looking at a line of 14 points in Florida's favor, uh, 57.5 over under. Not ready to make a prediction yet. We're going to save those for the stories, at least myself. Um, to your point of the idea that it may not necessarily be like the past two weeks in terms of shutouts, uh, I do think Vanderbilt covers. I think Florida probably wins by two possessions. Um and I think it probably goes under just because of the conditions as well. Uh, hoping it's a quick game being an 11 o'clock kickoff. But all of those things considered, I do think Vanderbilt could cover and make this seem like a you know, pretty solid game for the Commodores. Although Florida should still win really in in every aspect of the game and walk out of there with a comfortable dub. Yeah. And you mentioned how you would like it to be a quick game. Well, Boy, do I have good news for you. Both of these teams like to run the football. It's going to be cold. Florida's not going to want to sit out there and sling it and have the receivers have stone hands because they're playing in weather 35 degrees under what they're used to in Florida at its lowest. Like if I was walk outside right now, I'm I'm chilly. I got a, I got a hoodie on, you know, I'm, my sweatpants are on. It's like 59 and they're they're going down, you know, going up to Tennessee and they're uh, in Nashville where it's what? What's it supposed to be a kickoff like? 30 something 32 I should, 33 I should look into that actually but I'm anticipating weather in the 20s when I go out on Friday night first time in yes. Nashville going to be a good time Yes sir yes sir yeah. But yeah so it's going to be a chilly environment there um for Florida and for I mean even for Vanderbilt but it's I think both teams are going to want to rush the football um that that's kind of been the formula for success this season obviously I mentioned the quarterback battle um, but the, that's not to kind of skim over Ray Davis, who's been the you know cornerstone piece of this Vanderbilt team all season long. He's you know averaging 4.8 yards per carry, has five touchdowns on the year. Um, you know, but he has been that guy that if they turn around and hand it off, he's going to get them you know five yards. He's going to be the consistent piece, and he can wear you down. He's a big body. Uh, at um, he's he's only five nine, but he's two oh five, so he really packs a punch, built like a bowling ball. He's just coming downhill. So I think with both of these teams wanting to run the football, it's going to be, um, like you said, I think I think Vanderbilt does cover. 
Uh, Florida historically hasn't played great when traveling to Nashville. It's, um, you know, it's really since I think the last time they won handedly was like 2010. And that was a blowout by what I mean handedly, because, you know, we look at Vanderbilt in their overall, you know, history record, everything like that. And it's like, oh, this is a, this is, you know, Florida's going to get this one and make it kind of ugly early in the start. And that just hasn't been the case when they traveled to Nashville. Um, and I don't think that's the case this time either with guys like Ray Davis. And if Mike Wright starts being able to rush the football as uh, at a high level as they do, it could not one, it couldn't give Florida some possessions that they normally would get. And we kind of see that uh, time of possession battle become a huge factor as well as the defense uh, continuing to try to make those strides to making what we've seen in the last six quarters, a constant. So, you know, where they're going to hit adversity at some point, I think it could happen with Vanderbilt this week. Shout out to Will Shepard as well. He has accounted for basically half of their touchdown receptions this year. Uh, So if they are going to go to someone in the passing game, I think it's safe to assume it's that guy, someone that uh, Billy Napier briefly recruited when he was at Louisiana. Um, He had a senior year blow up and Napier said, I guess on Wednesday that Louisiana already had a pretty big wide receiver class at that point. But Regardless, uh, a player that Napier is well familiar of and could be hearing his name a little bit this weekend as well if Vanderbilt gets its offense going. Let's um let's switch this up now. Let's go over to recruiting. Um, as we mentioned earlier, uh, everyone at this point is aware that Jaden Rashada is a Florida Gators commit, no longer a Miami Hurricane commit. And Florida has QB1, its leader of the 2023 class. And as we talked about last time, you know, there are going to, there's going to be a domino effect, right? There's going to be players that either follow him straight up to Florida, players that will strongly consider Florida now maybe more than they had before because of Rashada's influence, not only because they know him, but because as a top-rated quarterback, you know, that carries some weight for a recruiting class, for a rebuild especially. Um, in, in which case, we've already seen some of those results come to fruition. We've seen... Lucas Simmons, Florida State offensive tackle, uh, he was in town as well as several other headlining commits for Florida's game against South Carolina. Also, there was Roderick Kearney, a former Florida State offensive line commit himself, so he's very familiar with Simmons, and they were undoubtedly doing work to try and get him to flip from the Seminoles to the Gators. Uh, IMG cornerback Desmond Ricks, uh, one of the top corners in this class in Florida's kind of pivot plan, um, I guess, after Cormani McLean, although I have to note they did a good job recruiting Ricks when he was considered a 2024 prospect up until McLean's commitment. So it's kind of worked out perfectly there for Florida to pursue him now in 2023. Uh, he was there with IMG teammates. Um, there was Reports that have now surfaced that the number one offensive tackle in the country, Samson Okunlola, is in town this week, Tuesday through Thursday, uh, was, I believe, the report that came out. So a multi-day stay. Uh, very clearly some interest there in the month leading up to early signing day. And, and offensive tackle remains one of Florida's bigger needs. Uh, that has been addressed, but not to the extent I think a lot of people would like to see in the 2023 cycle. Uh, Oaken Lola has long considered Miami. He knows Jaden Rashada pretty well. I think it's safe to assume at this point that Florida is now in the mix uh, for him because this has surfaced that he is in town, not even for a game, but just here to see the staff before they go on on a, on, on a road trip. 
Yeah, for sure. A lot of a lot of pieces uh, kind of emerging for Florida in the in the late stages that we might not have have seen earlier on. Obviously, um, Lucas Simmons was one of the guys that they were pushing for hard this summer. Um, if you're on Twitter, if you saw the hashtag #Hedgegators uh, hashtag, that was uh, for Simmons. Uh, and but you know you got guys like Samson and uh, as well as you know. Desmond Ricks, who's reclassified after being their number one cornerback on the board for 2024. And now he's now their number one cornerback on the board. Now that Cormani McLean's committed to Miami uh, for 2023. So a lot of guys with interest in Florida that are also making their way to Florida, um, you know, to Gainesville to kind of check everything out before the, the mid December um, signing period rolls around, which is approaching quickly. And, and, you know, it's, it feels like, this season has has flown by uh, in, in general, but what's really flown by is this 2023 class. Obviously, Florida has had some ups and downs with that within it, but I think there's a lot of momentum here for this Florida um, bump class that they have uh, in, in Billy Napier and Co.'s first full cycle uh, in Gainesville. So a lot of storylines to follow moving forward, but you got a guy like Jaden Rashada in the mix now. You have you know some connections elsewhere from uh, you know teammates of players and uh, guys that were committed elsewhere at different schools that with guys that are trying to flip out others. And I think there's just a lot going on in Gainesville that could result in some, uh, you know, you're at least going to have some fun down the stretch, whether it's good, good or bad for uh, the Gators in December and even in February when uh, the class comes to a complete end. Yeah. And I'd be remiss not to mention running back Mark Fletcher as well. Uh, he decommitted from Ohio state last night, two nights last ago. Night. Last yep, night, last it's, night. See, class is going by so quick. I can't keep track of my days. Hmm. Uh, he was in. He was at Florida this past weekend as well for the South Carolina game. Got to witness that up close. Uh, another one to watch. An American Heritage product out of South Florida. Uh, Florida's gotten a couple of guys from the Miami area, but hasn't knocked down a ton of dominoes there. And I mean, you you think about Rashada's commitment to Miami, the connections he built there. You think about taking a player from the Hurricanes' backyard. Obviously, it's the talent-rich South Florida as is where we know they need to start stockpiling talent from. You you got to think that getting a guy like Fletcher paired with Rashada w- would be beneficial for that aspect of Florida recruiting too. And, it, you know, it's obviously detrimental to the University of Miami, but you want to start seeing some of those guys make their way here as well. Yeah, you always want to try to get guys from the talent-rich areas, especially in-state uh, Miami in that South Florida area. Um, you know, I think Fletcher plays at American Heritage in Fort Lauderdale. He's from Lauder Hill, um, Florida, so he kind of is right in the thick of things there in that talent-rich area. And then you also have institutions like IMG or um, St. Thomas Aquinas, places like that, that are just consistently pumping out some of the best prospects year in and year out. And Florida's really shown that they have an emphasis in being able to land some of those guys. Uh, and I think the biggest thing with Florida is being able to close on a guy like Mark Fletcher after he decommitted from Ohio State just a few days removed from his visit to Florida. Obviously, you have guys like Tran Webb, who's known Fletcher since they were young, uh, recruiting him on Twitter, posting pictures of them back when they were youngins, as well as you know, just kind of hinting at the fact that 
He wants him at Florida, even though they're both running backs. Trayon Webb's not afraid of that competition, as well as knowing that there's, you know, is going to be a rotation at the run in the running back room for Florida. So a lot of things uh, shaping up for Florida in a positive way right now, and it's kind of interesting to see, you know, uh, some of the things that not just Jaden Rashad is doing, but other commits are doing to rally this you know recruitment class to being one of the best we've seen from florida in quite some time if not the best really since uh you know will muschamp compiled some of the top classes in the nation during his time at uf i'll be exciting to watch these next couple of weeks uh, as you mentioned this early signing period is coming very soon but first we have a regular season to conclude and i think that'll bring us to the conclusion of this podcast because i gotta get ready to go hit nashville i'm gonna work yes, on do my hybrid weird country accent there it's going to come uh in handy for this weekend uh disregard but appreciate all of you guys joining us brandon as always thank you for making some time for me today to rant about florida football uh let us know where we can find your work and what to expect from you in the coming days Absolutely. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at it's B Carol, as well as you always can go to allgators.com, check out Zach and I's work as well as, uh, Connor Clark and, uh, Chris Thornton. We're all getting together there and trying to produce the best content we possibly can surrounding the Florida Gators. Everything you need to check out is right there on allgators.com. Throw Dominique a follow as well at Dominique Easley. Again, we do anticipate getting him back for an episode next week. And you can find all of my work over at Zach underscore Goodall. I alluded to it earlier in the show, uh, the NFL interest in players like Jervon Dexter, Anthony Richardson, Osiris Torrance. Shameless plug, my most recent story as of the time we recorded this is about the NFL teams that have expressed interest in Florida and their futures. Uh, You'd be surprised by the number of scout visits that we've had at Florida games this year. I've got every single game tracked and up in a story. It's at the top of allgators.com. I suggest you go check it out if you've got nothing better to do with your time, but I don't know. I'm just a hungry journalist. We will catch you guys next time on the Believe in Florida Gators podcast brought to you by Bet Online. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube